Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Side of midnight. I am Frank Morano. Uh, it has been way too long since I have spoken with Professor Solomon. He is, I, I think, a brilliant man. Although I have left the door open to the fact that he's just insane. Uh, he is a very funny man, and I think he's in on the joke. He is a fascinating, fascinating person. He is a magician with a degree in English from Harvard. He is a poet and an author whose books are just terrific. Uh, They're all available for free on his website, ProfessorSolomon.com, spelled just like, you know, the king, the biblical king. And uh, his books include a lot of terrific books, that I issues that are very near and dear to my heart. We're going to talk about a few of them. But uh, one of his books is deals with Houdini. Houdini and Spiritualism, the story of Houdini's crusade against fraudulent mediums. Professor Solomon, it is great to talk with you again. How have you been? I've been, I've been fine, Frank. Good to talk to you. So um, this is the first time a lot of our audience is, uh, is hearing you, Professor. Are you actually a professor? No, it's when I had a magic show for a while, a children's magic show, and I was known as Professor Solomon. I did that for about a year, and I then I when I started writing books, I adopted that name, Professor Solomon, as my as my nom de plume. And but I am not a professor. I work at a high school, but I'm not a, a college professor. No. So you're a high school teacher, more or less. Yes. Okay. Now I I are, but you are actually a, mu- a magician. That's true. Yes. Okay. And do you still perform? I haven't in a long time. Uh, when I was a magician, I got interested in the history of magic, and that has remained. And I do a lot of reading about um, biographies of, of famous magicians, so I still do that. 
Oh, well, that sounds interesting. We're going to talk about Houdini in uh, just a moment. But who are some of your other favorite um, historical magicians? Well, there was Howard Thurston. Uh, there was Blackstone, Blackstone Sr., Blackstone Jr. In fact, when I was a child, I was taken to see Blackstone Sr. I think that made a, a big impression on me. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, the, in stage magic and in its history as a theatrical genre. Okay, uh, no, it makes sense. Now, by the way, uh, you first came on my radar screen with uh, a, your book, How to Find Lost Objects, right. um, which is tips and techniques for finding things that are lost, including 12 principles. My wife uh, found a debit card that she had lost five months ago in her car today. She also found uh, a baby stroller that she didn't even know she had. Well, I'm sure this is a problem a lot of people can relate to. What can you give people a a tip on finding something lost? The well, first you got to admit to yourself that as I as I say it's not lost you are, and that just means that you're you're approaching it in the wrong way. You're not looking for it systematically. Rather, you're panicking. You're in a kind of a in a in a mood that will, that is going to condemn you to failure in finding the object. So I give these 12 principles that I tell you to run through one by one, which is just kind of common sense, but it forces you to calm down and look in a methodical way for, for that object. All right. Well, I, I think that is a certainly a very rational uh, you know, uh, approach. And by the way, when I did use your book to try and find my lost mobile phone charger, I was ultimately able to find it. So I did find it very helpful. People just go ahead. <laughs> I'm glad to be of assistance. Absolutely. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Professor Solomon. Uh, tell me about Houdini's history uh, with respect to mediums, not necessarily his work as an escape artist and a musician, excuse me, a magician, but his history and approach with mediums. He started out initially as a believer in spiritualism, right? Well, he wanted to believe, uh, he, uh, and he kept. He, he was very attached to his late mother. He wanted to get in touch with her, and he started um, visiting mediums. He became friends with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who was sort of the spokesman for spiritualism. And he, um, Sir Arthur kind of gave him a list of mediums who he thought were authentic. Houdini started visiting them, and one after another, they were they were in his view they were frauds. And he got upset by this, and that's sort of when he started this campaign to to expose the fraudulent mediums. He wanted to find a real medium, but he, he in his opinion, he never did. Now, um, so wh what was it that changed him? It was that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle tried to expose him to all these mediums, and Houdini was just unconvinced. Yeah, I think the, 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 the crucial moment came where he, uh, Sir Arthur and his wife had a seance for Houdini, which they told him they would get him in touch with his mother. They did this kind of automatic writing with, his, with Sir Arthur's wife. They gave a message which was purportedly from his mother, um, and it was an emotional kind of thing. But Houdini realized that, A, his mother spoke no English. Uh, she, had spoke, she spoke German. All the messages were in English, and he... he there were and there were other kind of tips. He thought that was a complete fake, and that's really when he started being serious about exposing fake mediums. And it ultimately led to the end of the, his friendship with Sir Arthur because he started speaking his mind and saying, "I'm sorry. I wish these people were the real thing. 
They're not. And his, it included Sir Arthur's wife in that. Oh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's wife was a medium? She was kind of an amateur medium, yeah. She she did she specialized in what's called automatic writing, where she would go into a trance, she would sit down with a pad of paper, and uh, messages would come to her, and she would write them down. And then uh, um, when she awoke, they would read these, and purportedly these were from the the late relatives of whoever was, was having the seance. Um, very interesting. So what was their process? Obviously, if Houdini's mother spoke German and the messages from her came back in English, that's a pretty obvious red flag. But as he would seek to expose other mediums, what was Rudy's process in doing so? Well, he he would he had different ways that he would do it. One was um, he would be he would appear actually on radio shows in the twenties and and give interviews uh, denouncing these mediums. He wrote articles, wrote magazine articles. Um, he would appear appear at seances in disguise. He did this a number of times, and he knew just exactly what was going on in the dark. And at a, a critical moment, he would shine a flashlight on the medium who was doing some kind of trickery, and he would expose the medium and he would proclaim, I am Houdini. He did a, a, that a number of times, and he would always bring a journalist and a policeman with him, uh, and these would make headlines for Houdini. It was it was partly to expose mediums, and partly because he was a publicity hound. Sure, it, it was a it was a method of kind of publicizing his his magic shows. Um, we're talking with Professor Solomon, a magician, a magic historian, author of several books. You could check out his book at professorsolomon.com. Why uh, choose to write about Harry Houdini? There's been so much written about Houdini over the years and a lot of films made about Houdini over the years. What made what sparked your interest in further exploring the question of Harry Houdini well, and his I, relationship been, um, with medium? I, told you, I had gotten interested in the history of stage magic, and I started writing a series of biographies of magicians. I had written two volumes of, of these. And then it just occurred to me, Houdini was next. Houdini, I had to write something about Houdini. His, his life was fascinating. I wanted to know more. And that's when I wrote the first of my two Houdini books. That was about, it was about the, the, first, um, the first half of his life before he got interested in, in, uh, in exposing mediums. And then I, it just became obvious I had to write a complete book on the, his, his adventures as, as, a, as an exposer of, of fraud. And, uh, yeah, it's very interesting, and uh, I've read through a good portion of the book. How could people read this book, by the way? How, how can they get it? Yeah, how can they get this book? It's available It's available from Amazon. Um, just just uh, Google Professor Solomon or, or Google Houdini and Spiritualism. It'll come up. It's been available um, for a few months now, um, and it's, it's, uh, I recommend it. <laughs> I, I'm sure that you do. Tell me a little bit more about his relationship with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. You mentioned that it was their battle over spiritualism that spoiled their, the end of their friendship. How did they become friends to begin with, uh, the well, author of the, the Sherlock Holmes In the Holmes early 20s, uh, Houdini was touring England. He had gone back after the war, hadn't been in a while, and since the war, since before the war. And he started a correspondence with Sir Arthur, um, just because they were kind of two famous people. 
And at one point, Sir Arthur invited him to stop by his his home, and they became they became friends there. They carried on the correspondence, and then when Sir Ar- Sir Arthur made a couple visits to the to the U.S., they would get together with their wives and 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 be friendly. They were always debating in a friendly way spiritualism, but gradually it became less and less friendly to the point where um, Houdini was making statements to the press that that Sir Arthur didn't know what he was talking about. And Sir Arthur was just deeply offended. Increasingly, they became less friends, and they finally just broke completely. Mm. Uh, that is uh, that's something. And again, we're talking with Professor Solomon. You can check out his website, Professor Solomon. Dot com. I read that Houdini even tried to lobby Congress to ban fortune tellers. Is that accurate as far as you can um, tell? He didn't exactly lobby them. He was asked to appear as a star witness. Uh, this is around, I think, 1924-25. There, there was a hearing in Washington. To, um, they were trying to pass a law to ban fortune telling in, in D.C., and they, they got Houdini to be a, a star witness as to how fraudulent these, these psychics and fortune tellers and mediums all were. He showed up at that. It was a tumultuous event where there, uh, the, a lot of the – in the audience were a lot of mediums and fortune tellers. They were yelling at each other. It, the order broke down. The, the Capitol Police had to be called. So uh, they never did pass that, that law. It just kind of died. But he, he had – he didn't start the, uh that wasn't his idea to have the law but he was the obvious person to testify in in its behalf. He um he also did a battle did battle essentially with Marjorie the medium. Who was Marjorie the medium and how did their sort of war over spiritualism go? Well, Marjorie the, the Scientific American in in 1923 I think it was sponsored a contest if if a, if a medium could could do the real thing could sh- show that they could get in contact with the departed spirits there was an award of $5000 and they had five judges one of whom was Houdini the other four were sort of psychologists and experts on on um uh, on parapsychology, but they wanted Houdini to expose the fraud because he was an expert on that. So they went through about, I think, five people, and they rejected five five mediums, all of whom were exposed with Houdini's help. They finally got to Marjorie. She was a um, a, a society woman in Boston, uh, the wife of a, a prominent doctor. And she started having uh, seances, and it looked like she was the real thing. So they brought her – the committee went up to Boston, including Houdini, and they gave, they had a series of seances. The committee was kind of fooled. They were kind of naive, except for Houdini. And he kind of pointed out the, the, what he purported to be fraud, fake stuff that she was doing in the dark. And she became his uh, mortal enemy. Uh, in the end, she was rejected by the Scientific American thanks to Houdini's input. But they really kind of disliked each other strongly. And that, that, was, that was publicized in all the papers. It was a big deal. Are there people both in Houdini's time and through the prism of hindsight to this day that believe Houdini was incorrect about his debunking of mediums? Are there people that believe that Houdini claimed somebody was a fraud who actually was legit? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot, and to this day, there's, there are a lot of spiritualists. It's not as organized as it was, but they were they were convinced that Houdini um, didn't know what he was talking about, and that he was even willing to, Marjorie accused him of faking things to to, to show that she was doing tricks, of, of, of doing the tricks himself. So, yeah, there were a lot of people that really were opposed to Houdini, and, and he got death threats. When he died, he had about a million dollars in lawsuits pending Ooh. from mediums and other spiritualists who were suing him. Um, it, you know, it just kind of didn't happen because he, he died. But um, it, he was largely opposed by the spiritualist movement, which was a big movement in the 20s, thanks, I guess, to World War One, uh, where a lot of people had lost people and wanted wanted to contact them, and the mediums were able to pick up on that and 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 do their thing. That, that is pretty interesting. Who were the Davenport brothers? You've spent some time writing about them as well. Yeah, they were in in the nineteenth century. They were they were sort of they they traveled around with a with a uh, cabinet, and they would have themselves tied up in the cabinet, uh, and there were some musical instruments and bells and things in there with them. The doors were closed, and they would summon the spirits, allegedly, to ring the bells and play the musical instruments. In point of fact, they were escape artists. They were sort of the first escape artists. As soon as the cabinet doors closed, they knew exactly how to get out. They were tied up supposedly thoroughly in ropes. They could get out immediately. They did these tricks that were the the spirits, allegedly. They tied themselves back up and the doors were opened. Um, Houdini just kind of knew that they, they were... He, they were before Houdini's time, but he, towards, the end, towards the end of one of their lives, he interviewed Ira Davenport, who confessed to him, yeah, we were escape artists. And Houdini looked upon them kind of with admiration, because they were mm. the first escape artists. He, did, he frowned upon the fact that they were purportedly talking to spirits. But other than that, he had a, kind of an ad, a professional admiration for them. Uh, how about Nino, the escape artist? Who was that? He was other. He was one of the five that were rejected by the, the Scientific American Committee. He would, uh, sort of like the Davenport brothers, he would have them himself tied up, and he would get in a cabinet, and then he would summon the spirits. It was very similar to the Davenport brothers. Houdini um, w- said, "Let me tie him up." Houdini knew how to tie people up. Oh, sure. And once Houdini had tied him up, they did repeated uh, attempts with him. He could. He couldn't summon the spirits. But he he again was was a uh, an, an escape artist who who posed as a spirit medium, and you know there's always been a lot of theories about Houdini's death. Uh, but uh, the official story goes that he was punched in the stomach, and uh, because he was always inviting people to test his abdomen muscles, and that ultimately led to his death. Is that your view, or do you have? No, that, yeah, that really happened. I mean, these three college students had appeared in his dressing room, and one of um, they were kind of, two of them were fans of his. But the third challenged him, said, "Let me. I heard that I could. You can be punched in the stomach, and you can take it." Houdini was kind of sitting there doing doing his correspondence. He said, "Yeah, that's true." And what this student did was, Houdini had to get up and brace himself first. And he was about to do that when the students just started punching him in the in the, in the abdomen without giving him a chance to to brace to get ready for these punches. And Houdini, they, where the debate comes, it's now believed that Houdini had 
incipient appendicitis at the time. He'd been showing some signs, and this this punching just brought it to a head. That's that's not clear if that was true or not. But uh, he he was he was unable to perform the next night. He was in the hospital soon. He lingered for nine or ten days, and and he died because of this. But yeah, no, it really happened that he was punched uh, by by a college student. Why do you think, what is it about Houdini that makes us still talk about him 70 or 80 years after his passing? There's so many great musicians that have lived throughout time, but none seem to have captured the uh, a public imagination and the sort of legacy that Harry Houdini has. Well, it was, uh, he, he was great. Not so much as a magician, really, but as an escape artist, he could escape from anything. He just knew how to do it. He knew he he understood locks. He had secret tools on his person, and his show basically was an an uh, he would escape. He would have people bring in handcuffs and he would get out of them. He really did escape. He knew how to do it in different ways, and that was so amazing to people that he became famous. And plus, he was. An amazing showman. He knew mm. how to present these escapes, uh, and he knew how to capitalize on, on on the publicity. He knew how to show up in a city early and do an escape from their jail, and he just intrigued the public. He would escape. He did this amazing thing where he would be suspended in a straitjacket from, from a tall building. Thousands of people would gather to watch this, and he would do his escape, his straitjacket escape, Way up in the air, you know, people were just couldn't believe it. They thought he was going to die. So he just, I would say the, the, the great thing about him was he was a showman. If people are just tuning in, we are talking with the Professor of Fun, Professor Solomon. You can check out his book, ProfessorSolomon.com. Professor, before I let you go, you have a very interesting book, which strikes my uh, attention, and I think a lot of our listeners will be interested in this. It's called How to Make the Most of a Flying Saucer Experience. Now, one, how do you know how to make the most of a flying saucer experience? Have you been abducted? And two, what, um, what pieces of advice can you give people that uh, can help them make the most of a flying saucer experience? Well, the book, the book was intended to be two things. I wanted to actually examine the phenomenon of people saying they had been uh, aboard a flying saucer, and, and what flying saucers, what, what was this all about, this whole phenomenon? And I wanted to write an entertaining book. I mean, there's, there's what I hope is humor in the book, but also I really did a study. I read everything I could find on UFOs. I hadn't known anything about the subject really until then. I read everything, and I read about these contactees who claimed they were aboard these ships, and I um, I wrote the book. It's it's really a study of a phenomenon and a, a done I hope in an entertaining way. So give us a tip if somebody has a flying saucer experience. What how, what should they do to make the most of it? Well, you could while you're aboard the saucer, uh, you could uh, learn to levitate. Um, you can uh, take it. They have uh, exercise pills aboard the saucers, according to some of the contactees. You can take a exercise pill. I, I kind of list all kinds of um, things you can do aboard the saucer. Uh, you can you can interview the contactees on their home planet. What it what it's like. In other words, I tried to kind of draw the subject, draw what I could that was f- fun out of, out of the subject matter. I, I didn't ever kind of claim uh, these contactees were actually aboard a saucer. In fact, I make it clear 
they were not. But I, th- I figured let's have a little fun uh, talking about them. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Professor Solomon. If people want to know uh, how to make the most of their flying saucer experience or how to find lost objects, go to ProfessorSolomon.com. Both of those books are available for download for free. Uh, is that an unwise business model, by the way, giving away all these books for free? Probably is, but you know what I really want is readers. This is, this is you know, I have a real job. I, uh, this is not what I do for a living. I want people to read the books. I write them so that they can be read. So I did that. You can also buy the book, and I'm hoping people buy some of the books, but you can also go to my website. It's right there to download if you want it. All right. Uh, Professor Solomon, thank you very much for the time. Hope we can talk again soon. Okay, Frank, it's been a pleasure. My pleasure. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, that's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.